Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Southcliff Podcast. We're glad you've joined us. Now, here's Senior Pastor Dr. Carol Marr with this week's sermon. to see you. Let me just, before we begin, stop and say thank you for being here. Your presence is so important to me because I suffer from PTSD from 2020. When I stood on Easter Sunday morning to preach to an empty room, and ever since then I've had a little PTSD, and so when Easter rolls around and I see you show up, that just calms me a bit. What a joy to gather together today and celebrate our Lord. Since January, and, and actually a little before, we've been walking through the book of Romans, and we've been kind of studying verse by verse through this book, and our study has brought us to chapter 8. And chapter 8 has been called the greatest chapter in all the Bible. It's certainly recognized as the greatest chapter in the book of Romans, and you know you got a good chapter. When it begins with, there is no condemnation, and it ends with, there is no separation, and in the middle of it, it says, and God causes all things to work together for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. Man, you put all those things together, you know you've got a great chapter And it's in this chapter that Paul helps us as Christians understand that God is at work in our life daily. That God has a purpose and a plan that he longs to work out in and through us on a regular basis. It's in this chapter that he talks about the victory that you and I can have in our walk with him. And so what I want to do in our time together today is pick up with that study and begin where we left off. Last time we were together in chapter 8, verse 31, down through the end of the chapter. Now, immediately you might be saying, well, wait a minute, Pastor, I thought it was Easter, and shouldn't our focus be on the resurrection? And my answer is yes, it should. But I want to remind you today that everything God gives us is connected to the resurrection. The victory that we have that Paul talks about in this chapter, the the power to live life, all that is the result of the resurrection. The resurrection story is central to the truth of Scripture in the Old Testament. the, The Old Covenant points to the coming of Christ and his death and burial and resurrection. The Gospels tell the story of that event and The epistles from that point forward look back to that event and show how it makes an impact in our life. And I I fear that many of us know that Jesus died for us. We understand that. We get that. We're here. But I believe many of us fail to press the implications of that deep into our heart. And that's the reason we worry about so much stuff. That's the reason we struggle so often instead of resting in him. And what Paul does in the passage before us is he gives us some help in that area as he asks and answers some very solid questions. 
And we're going to look together today at three truths that he gives us as he offers us insight into what the resurrection is able to provide for us. In fact, he kind of introduces a critical element to the victory life that God has called us to when he says that that one of the results, really, of the resurrection is that you and I can have security. I don't know if you've ever stopped to think about it, but security is that one thing that all of us long for, isn't it? We spend billions of dollars every year on security. We thank the men and women of service to our country for their service and we feel safe because they stand between us and the enemy and it gives us security. We spend money in our taxes to, to pay for police, firemen, first responders who offer us a sense of security, right, to know that I can call 911 if something goes south at my house. If I need help, I can reach out, and that brings a sense of security. We work all our life for financial security. Our personal security, we have a, the ability to have concealed carry or open carry. We, we're concerned about our personal security. And Paul in the text before us says, but I want you to know something, guys. The resurrection of Christ provides for our eternal security. Now, many of the believers that Paul is writing to in Rome struggled with that. They, they, they understood, Paul says, God calls us all things to work together for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. And many of the Christians in Rome would say, well, that's fine for you, Paul. But I'm not really convinced it works for me. And so what Paul does at the end of this chapter is he says, I want you to understand something. God is for you. God's for you. Now, again, some people would say, well, that's, that's good to know that God is for me. That's good. The problem is my boss is not. The problem is my husband is not. My wife is not. My friends are not. In fact, I feel like I'm alone and I feel like nobody cares and I feel like there is no one on my side. And Paul says, guys, I want you to understand that God is for us. With that in mind, he offers three truths that I think can change our life today as a result of what Jesus did for us on the cross and through the resurrection. So if you have your Bible, look with me, if you will, at Romans chapter 8, begin with verse 31. We find these words, what then shall we say of these things? Now, what are the these things that Paul is referring to? Some recognize that it probably is what he says from the very first chapter all the way until now. It certainly involves what he has already said in chapter 8, that God will work in every situation to bring about good for us and glory for him. 
And so Paul says, what can I say about the way that God is at work in our life and the promises that you and I have discovered? And he goes on to begin with the first of several questions and offers answers. If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather he who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God? Who also intercedes for us? Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long and we're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In that passage of scripture Paul gives us three wonderful truths that allow us to recognize the value of the resurrection on our life today. What difference does it make now? Well, Paul would have us to recognize that because of the resurrection, you and I can be secure in our standing before God. In verse 31, he says, what shall we say then of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, in the first part of that, when he says, if God is for us, that's not the question. The question is, who can stand against us? That's a statement that he makes. If God is for us, statement, fact, then who can stand against us? It might even better be translated for us to understand, since God is for us, who can stand against us? against us. Paul said understanding that God is on our side, recognizing that, that he is given evidence of his love. Now, you, you might say, okay, well, if, if God is for us, who can stand against us? But how do I really know God is for us? What's the proof? And Paul gives it to us in the next verse when he says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up freely for us. If God did not spare his own, you want evidence that God is for you? All you gotta do is look at the cross. If you want evidence that God is for you, then you can be reminded that, that, that you, while you were sinners, God came. The first part of Romans, the first four chapters we discovered, Paul goes into detail describing that, that we are sinners separated from God. He goes into detail to say that there's no difference between those of us that are in church and outside. We have a tendency to think because we go to church that we, we're kind of in favor with God and we may not be the best in the world, but somehow we're better off than those people out there that don't believe in God. And, and you know what Paul says? All of us have the same problem, whether we're in here or whether we're out there. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
Every one of us are separated from God as a result of sin. You were born into a sinful world. You inherited a sin nature. And not only did you inherit a sin nature, you have sinned as a result of your living life. And the wages of sin is death, separation from God. And the Bible says, and Paul establishes in four chapters, there's, listen, you are a sinner separated from God. And then he says this, and there is nothing you can do about it. Going to church won't help. Being baptized won't help. Learning catechism won't help. Studying the scriptures won't help. Memorizing the Bible won't help. You are helpless and hopeless, separated from God. There's nothing you could ever do to fix it. But what you could not do, God chose to do for you. And that while you were yet sinners, Christ came. And Paul says, God is for you. How do I know that? Because he sent his son. His son born like no one else, born of a virgin. That's why Christmas is important. That's why the virgin birth is absolutely essential. Jesus had a heavenly father and an earthly mother. Therefore, he did not inherit a sin nature. So he is without sin. The wages of sin, the punishment for sin is death, separation from God. Jesus didn't inherit a sin nature. And he never sinned. So he would never have to die. But he chose to die in your place and in my place to demonstrate that he is for us. While we were yet sinners, he died for us. And Paul says, listen, this is evidence. There is no opposition. God is for you. Now, I want you to understand this. He's for you not just when you're walking with him. He's also for you when you're running away from him. Even when you've turned your back on him, he is for because while you were yet sinners, he came to provide for you the greatest need that you experienced. Your sin debt paid for in his blood. Raised on the third day is God's expression that I will accept payment on your behalf from Jesus. Well, not only does he say that there's no opposition, He also says there's no accusation in verse 33. It says, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Well, you know, Satan is called the accuser. He loves to bring charges against God's elect. He loves to remind us of sin that we have committed uh, to prove to us that this may work for other people, but not for me. God may forgive other people, but, but not me. You don't know what I've done. You don't know the kinds of things. There are things in my past, Pastor, that no other human being knows. There are things that I have never been able to forgive myself for, and I know that God will never forgive me for, and I will never let go of that. I, I think this, this church stuff works for you, but it'll never work for me. And Paul comes on the scene to say, who will bring a charge against God's elect? Satan would love to, and other people would line up and love to amen every accusation and point out every sin in our life. But then Paul says this, but it's God who justifies. In the death of Jesus, God chose to say, you know what? I'm going to die in your place and I choose to give you my place of life. I'm going to take your death and I'm going to give you my life. I'm going to look at you just as if you've never sinned. The word justified means just as if I'd never sinned. God accepts the payment of Jesus on the cross for the penalty of my sin so that through faith in Christ I 
can receive his forgiveness. It's he who justifies. That justification is not based on what I do. That brings no security. And the reason we have no eternal security for many of us is, is because you're trying to get to heaven on your own. And you have no eternal security because you don't know how good's good enough. I'm living a good life, but I don't, I'm just hoping that it's good enough. I just hope when I get to heaven, God's going to have some kind of divine scale and he's going to put all the good stuff I've done on one side and the bad stuff on the other side. And I'm just hopeful that the good stuff outweighs the bad. Paul says, you don't have to have that sign of hope so security. You can have the absolute security that God has justified you in Jesus Christ. He has chosen to take your sin and put it on the shoulders of his son so that Jesus would die on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, there are several miracles that happened. One of them is that the sun turned to darkness. That is not an evidence that God withdrew or turned his back on his son. It's absolute evidence that God was present. At that moment, God put the wrath of sin on the shoulders of Jesus in your place. We are justified. There's no accusation then that can be made. And he also says, and there's no condemnation, going back to what he said in the first verse, no condemnation for those that are in Christ. In verse 34, he said, who is the one who condemns? Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was raised. And he's at the right hand of the Father. And indeed, he, he intercedes for us. It's kind of like the guy who went to court that day and had been accused and they asked him to stand and the judge said to him, are you the defendant in, this, in these proceedings? He said, no, no, sure, I'm not the defendant. I'm the, I'm the guy that done it. This guy right here, my lawyer, he's the one, he's the defendant, he's the one defending me. Now, I want to tell you something, we're the one who done it. We're the one who has sinned and and we are under condemnation. The wages of sin is death. You are condemned to die. Jesus was not under the condemnation of sin, but he dies in our place. He takes our condemnation. And that's why he says, who is it to condemn? Jesus is the one who died. He's the one that stands and has paid the price. When I stand before God, I will have an opportunity to walk into heaven, not because of what I've done, not because of the life I've lived, but because he took my place and stood condemned in my position, paid the penalty for my sin that I might have eternal life. He's the one who's the judge. There's eternal security. There's no condemnation for those in Christ. Secondly, though, Paul says, not only do I have security because of the resurrection, my standing with God, I can know that I can stand before God forgiven and justified because of the resurrection. He also says, I can know that I'm secure in God's love for me. In verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of God? In Christ Jesus. Who can, who can take us away from the love of God? Can tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword? No. Now, all of those things are real, aren't they? Persecution, tribulation, distress, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. You know what Paul is saying? It's good to know before you walk into tribulation that it can't separate you from God. Because you know what I've discovered? It sure feels like it. 
When I walk into tribulation, it feels like God doesn't love me. My child got cancer. My child died. My husband died. My wife died. I got that diagnosis. We have a child with special needs. None of that feels like God loves me. All of that feels like God doesn't love me. And in fact, even many question God's love based on that. If God does love you, why do bad things happen? And, 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 and so Jesus says, look, in this life you will have tribulation. But let me help you understand something. Even though tribulation feels like I don't love you, tribulation can't separate you from my love. Tribulation are the things that happen on the outside. And he goes one step further. He says, I mean, distress, distress. If tribulation is what happens on the outside, it's the pressure that we feel on the outside. Distress is the pressure that we feel on the inside. It's the anxiety, overwhelming anxiety that many experience today, anguish. It's the feeling of being trapped, being pressured from within. Feeling like we're alone and there's no one else there. And so often it doesn't feel like God loves me when I'm walking through depression and, and those personal struggles. And what does Paul say? But I want you to understand something. The resurrection proves something. It proves that tribulation can't separate you from the love of God. Distress won't separate you from the love of God. Persecution. Paul throws that in there because many of the people in Rome were being persecuted. Some had lost their husband or their father, and they were in prison because they had named the name of Christ. And it looks like God has forsaken me, and God has forgotten me. And why in the world, when I'm doing what God wants me to do, do these bad things happen? And Paul says, I want to remind you of something. That doesn't mean God doesn't love you. Because persecution can't separate you from the love of God or famine, the lack of food and suffering. Nakedness, danger, sword, all of those things are realities. And, and you know what? Paul doesn't stop there. He picks up again in verse 38, and, and he speaks again of the separation, that we cannot be separated from the love of God. The only, I mean, from that point forward, it, it's like this is, this is the final thought that he offers in this chapter is that we can't separate. And I, I think there's two reasons he does that. One's because it's very important for us to know. And secondly, because it's so easy for us to forget. It's so easy for us to walk through life and think that the resurrection doesn't matter. It's a fun story. It's a wonderful event. But God doesn't really care about me and the situation I'm in. And Paul says, no, I want you to understand something. The resurrection gives evidence that, 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 that nothing can separate you from the love of God. Not even Death. I mean, the ultimate thing that can happen to me is you can arrest me for preaching the gospel. What's the worst thing you can do to me? Kill me. That's the worst thing that could happen in life is that I die as a result of it. And what happens when I die? Because I place my faith and trust in God, I go, I, I go straight into his presence. So the worst thing that can happen to me can become the best thing that happens to me. And Paul says, listen, you don't ever need to forget not even the ultimate of death can separate you from the love of God. Well, what about angels? No, no angels. 
can separate you from the love of God. No demons can separate you from the love of God. They can tempt you to come away from God, but they'll never separate you from the love of God. There's no spiritual power on this planet that can separate you from the love of God. Well, what about things present? There's nothing in your life right now that can separate you from the love of God. And there may be things in your life right now that are not pleasing to God, but I want to tell you something. That doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. And you can continue in sin, and it does not remove the love of God for you. Things present, no. Nothing in your life now that causes God not to love you. Things to come, there is nothing in the future that will cause God not to love you. Nor power, he says. Spiritual power, satanic power, no earthly power can separate you from the love of God. Nor height. There's nothing in time or in space, in height or in depth, in time or in space that can separate us from the love of God. All created things, nothing in creation can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can change God's love for you. And nothing will cause him to stop loving you. Now, does that mean I can continue to live life the way I want to live it? Do whatever I want to do since I'm secure in God's love? No. His love's perfect. Why is it that parents discipline their children? If you love your children, you you better discipline them. That's a great expression of love. If you don't discipline your children, that's not an expression of love. You're not preparing them for life. Discipline something I don't like to do, but it prepares our children. It's, it's the greatest expression of love to help teach them. And so God is it all about working in our lives. But what you need to understand is that nothing can separate you from the love of God. The resurrection means that I'm secure in my standing with God through faith in Jesus. It means I'm secure in his love. Nothing can ever take that away. And it finally means that I'm secure in his victory through Christ. If you back up to verse 37, he says, and, and in all these things, what are these things? The distress, the tribulation, the persecution, the, the, the famine, the nakedness, the peril, the sword. Through all those things, he said, we conquer. Now, I want to tell you something. If you are a conqueror, that brings with it struggle, doesn't it? If you're a conqueror, there's got to be something to conquer. So that means that life is tough. There's a war that is raging. But Paul says, I wanted you to understand something than the challenges that you face in life and the hardships that you encounter in tribulation and the distress and in persecution and nakedness and peril. And you can pray, and often we do, God, take me out of that. And God says, I'm not going to take you out of the situation. I'm going to come to you in the middle of it. And I'm going to give you all the things that you need, the grace sufficient. What did he say? If I will not withhold my son, the best I have, don't you understand that I will freely give you all things? Don't you understand that if I will not withhold my son, I'm going to give you everything you need in every one of those situations in life so that you can experience victory. Yet, he doesn't stop there. He doesn't just say that we are conquerors. He says, We're more than conquerors. He said, you're super conquerors, if you will. You're not just going to survive. You're going to thrive. You can face the hardship of life and not just simply 
survive. You, you can strive. You can come out better, stronger, with a deeper victory. In life, it might look like we're defeated. But hold on. We are more than conquerors. A black pastor by the name of S.M. Lockridge years ago, I heard him preach. Man, he was a, a great orator, and, and you probably have heard it on YouTube or something this time of year. That, that, that message he preached that was so dynamic comes up sometimes on a feed, and he had a message one time that says, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. On Friday, it's dark. On Friday, they put Jesus in the tomb. On Friday, it looked like all hope was gone. On Friday, it looked like we put our trust in the wrong person. On Friday, it looked like all the promises of the Bible would not be fulfilled. On Friday, it looks like we had lost and it was over and Satan won. But don't you give up. Sunday's coming. And God's love will hold you and sustain you and give you all you need and bring you to a place of victory and purpose in life. Now, what I'm going to do is end with a picture of what that victory looks like. I'm going to show you a quick clip of the life of a man by the name of Dimitri. Dimitri came to know the Lord in Russia years and years ago. God radically changed his life. The Bible became alive to him, and he began to read it and share it with his children, even though it was against the law to do that in Russia. As he began to teach his children the Bible, other friends and neighbors around him began to ask if they could come to the Bible studies too. And, and, and over time, he began a little Bible study class in his home. Wasn't long till the KGB found out they burst into his home in the middle of that church service. They arrested that little man of God and they hauled him 1,000 miles away from his home and put him in prison, hard prison with 1,500 of the hardest criminals that were in Russia at the time. And for 17 years, he lived in that prison. Every morning he would get up, he would face the east, and he would sing his heart song of praise to God. And as he began to sing, the prisoners would go wild and, and throw curses and abuse toward him. The soldiers were abusive to him. They beat him on a regular basis. They would beat him and do everything they could to break him down, literally walk in the jail cell with a piece of paper and say, all you've got to do, you can be free. All you've got to do is sign right here that you reject Jesus. You sign this piece of paper and you can walk out of this prison. But Dimitri, because of what Jesus had done for him, could never sign that paper. And for 17 years, he endured hell on earth in that prison it finally came to a head one day he was out in the in in the yard and, and and as he was there it was almost by divine appointment there was a small piece of paper on the ground that he was able to pick up and he found a piece of a pencil 
And he grabbed that piece of a pencil and that piece of paper and he runs back to his jail cell and he begins to write on that piece of paper every Bible verse that he could ever remember. And he, in that wet, damp cell, took that little piece of paper that was, was saturated with the word of God on the front and the back and, and he reached as high as he could and, and he and, and he slammed it against the wall and, and, and with the moisture it stuck and he offered that as his praise to God. And it wasn't long before the soldiers took note. And they walk in and rip that down and begin to beat him and they said, we have had it, we're done with you. You have been here 17 years and it is over. No more opportunities today, you die. And I want you to listen to the narrator as he tells you the end of the story. They began to beat our brother without mercy, and they said, look out that window. You see those posts out there? In 10 minutes, you will be tied to that post. In 15 minutes, you will be dead. And they grabbed him by the front of the shirt and began to drag him out of his jail cell as they got to the door, the gate of the prison. I can still picture it. 1,500 hardened criminals stood beside their bed, stood at attention, and 3,000 hands, arms were raised in praise to God as they faced the east and they sang that heart song to God that they heard the man of God sing all those years. Can you imagine what that choir to God sounded like? And the guards let go of our brother as if they were with sheer terror. And they looked at him and they said, who are you? And he said, I am the son of the living God, and his name is Jesus the Christ. That's what being more than a conqueror looks like. And if God can give that kind of power and that kind of grace and that kind of strength in that situation, he can do the same in your life. What does the resurrection mean? It means we're secure in our standing before God. Our sin debt has been canceled if we ask God to forgive us and receive the gift of eternal life in Jesus. It means that my love from God is secure and nothing will separate me from the love of God. And it means that God will give me all things necessary to live victoriously for him in this life. If you're here today and have never accepted Jesus as Savior, that security can be yours. 
It's not through church membership. It's not through baptism. It's through accepting Jesus as Savior. It's through acknowledging I am a sinner. I can't save myself. I get that. And I ask you, God, to forgive me of my sin. And today, you can receive the gift of eternal life. I'm going to pray, and we're going to give you an opportunity to receive that. We're going to give you an opportunity to come, and I'll introduce you to someone who can help you understand what it means to be a follower of Christ. not going to embarrass you or put you on the spot, but this is your moment. God knew you would be here. This is your moment to receive the forgiveness that God offers and the new life that can be yours. Father, I thank you for the message today. Give us the strength to embrace the truth before us. In Jesus' name, amen. everyone at Southcliff Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you would like more information about Southcliff Church, please go to southcliff.com to share a testimony of how God has encouraged you through this ministry. Send an email to scpodcast at southcliff.com. That's scpodcast at southcliff.com. Click the Give button on our webpage to discover how this ministry is supported. Your financial gifts help accomplish the mission God has given us.